Good morning. Okay, so this morning we're continuing our series in the book of John. Um, We're in chapter 16 of 21, so we're coming towards the end of the book now, in the real business end of the story. And in the last few weeks, we've seen Jesus pointing towards the conclusion of his earthly ministry. And the disciples aren't really sure what's going to happen, but Jesus is well aware of his fate. So he's soon going to die the most horrific death. He's going to face torture and humiliation and pain and unthinkable suffering. This was the reason he'd come to earth. This was his mandate. This was the whole reason he was here. But that didn't make it any less of a scary prospect. He was still going to face suffering. And with that in mind, I want to talk this morning about joy. Okay? Of course, we know this story doesn't end with Jesus' death on the cross, does it? We know we have his glorious resurrection when death is defeated once and for all. And in the light of that, it's very easy to talk about joy. And this is something which I'm really excited to speak about because joy is something which I think um, marks us out as Christians. Certainly when I first became a Christian, it's one of the things which, uh, which really grasped my attention one of the things which really got me thinking that there must be something different about Christian people. See, a lot of you know my story. I hadn't been to church much growing up. I went to a Catholic school, so I'd been to Mass a few times, and I'd been to the odd church service when I was in Scouts. And one of the words I would never use to describe church was joyful. (laughs) Like, everyone there just seemed miserable. Like, they couldn't wait to get out of church at the end so they could go and have fun. And then I went to my first Christian youth event and I saw people jumping up and down and dancing and praising Jesus and I thought, ah, okay, young people are allowed to be joyful. But as soon as you become an adult, you've got to be miserable between 10, 30 and 12 every Sunday. Then I went to King's Church, Darlington. It was the first time I'd ever attended a charismatic Christian meeting and I was smacked in the face with joy. Everyone seemed so excited. Adults were dancing this time. People were clapping. I might have even heard a cheer. I think we sang a song which went something like, this is where the party is. I was like, what is this? <laughs> it didn't stop there, though. During the sermon, the person speaking was actually happy. He was making people laugh. He was excited and joyful about what he was talking about. And then after the meeting, people got together and enjoyed coffee together and were laughing and joking. I was like, you people are weird. But you know what? I couldn't believe it. I absolutely loved the joy that I saw. The joy was fascinating for me, and it was one of the main things which kept me coming back to church week in, week out, when I found my faith. Joy is something which marks us out as Christians, or at least it should be. (laughs) Let's read our passage this morning and see what Jesus has to say about joy. We're going to be reading from John 16, starting in verse 5, and the words are going to be appearing on the screen behind me. But now I'm going to him who sent me. None of you asks me, where are you going? Rather, you are filled with grief because of of I've said these things. But very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. About sin, because people do not believe in me. About righteousness, 
because I'm going to the Father where you can see me no longer, and about judgment because the prince of this world now stands condemned. Let's skip to verse 20. Very truly, I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come, but when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. So with you, now is your time of grief, but I will see you again, and you will rejoice, and no one will take away your joy. In that day, you will no longer ask me for anything. Very truly, I tell you, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now, you've not asked for anything in my name. Ask, and you will receive, and your joy will be complete. Though I've been speaking figuratively, a time is coming when I will no longer use this kind of language, but I will tell you plainly about my Father. In that day, you will ask in my name. I'm not saying I will ask the Father on your behalf. No, the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and entered the world. Now I'm leaving the world and going back to the Father. Then Jesus' disciples said, Now you're speaking clearly and without figures of speech. Now we can see that you know all things and that you do not even need to have anyone ask you questions. This makes us believe that you came from God. Do you now believe, Jesus replied? A time is coming and in fact has come when you will be scattered, each to your own home. You will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for my Father is with me. I have told you these things, so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Come on, let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for those words, God. Thank you so much for that passage, God, and what you talk to us about joy, God. Thank you so much, God, that as Christians we're to be marked out by our joy, God that we have grief, Lord, but one day that grief will turn to praising, will turn to celebration, God. Lord, I pray this morning, would you speak to our hearts, God? Would we learn more about you this morning? Would we become more passionately in love with you this morning? And would we be people who are joyful this morning? Amen. Okay, so here, what we have in this passage is a conversation between Jesus and his disciples, uh, which I want to unpack this morning, looking into more detail about this area of joy, Okay. And as usual, because we're in church, I've got three points this morning. I'm going to be looking at the bringer of joy, joy invincible, and finally, joy has overcome. Okay, so what on earth is going on in this passage? Well, Jesus is preparing his disciples for their future. He's preparing them for life without him. Jesus knows that his time on earth is coming to an end, and therefore he's trying to, uh, to prepare his disciples for life without him. See, no doubt, the disciples would have been worrying about this, worrying about what life without Jesus in their midst would be like. They'd have been anxious about that. But then in verse 7, we see this amazing line from Jesus. He says, But very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. What? <laughs> How can it be for their good? The disciples have given up everything to follow Jesus. They've left homes and jobs and families to follow this man. They've literally given up everything because they believed his message and now he's telling them that it's for their good that he's going away. 
Like, you can forgive the disciples for being a little bit confused, can't you? And I was thinking about this this week. Have you ever wondered what it would have been like to have been around when Jesus was around? To travel with him, to witness his miracles, to hear his stories, to just relax and enjoy a meal with him, to see how he handled conflict with those in power, to see how he showed love and grace and compassion to those in need. I mean, who wouldn't want that? I always think about that. It would have been amazing to be around with Jesus at that time. But Jesus was saying something else. He was saying, actually, there's something even better than spending your time in my physical presence. He's pointing the disciples towards something better than that. The second part of verse 7 says, unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. For if I go, I will send him to you. And here it is. Jesus talking about sending his Holy Spirit to them. His very presence no longer being in front of them in physical form, but being with them at all times. I mean, how good is that? Instead of granting his uh, followers an audience based on his limited availability, he would be present for each one of them 24 hours a day and 365 days a week. And that is what he meant when he said it was for their good that he was going away. Think about it. It would have been great to be with Jesus on earth. Jesus' ministry would have been great to be around. It would have been great to witness everything that he was doing. But the disciples never got his undivided attention, did they? We see stories in scripture of Jesus going off on his own to pray. Or Jesus addressing a large crowd. Or Jesus taking two or three disciples away to teach them. See, the disciples weren't with him all of the time. But when Jesus sends his Holy Spirit, suddenly his presence is there at all times. That is the good news. That is why it's better for them. That is the encouragement that Jesus was bringing to them. Bible teacher Tom Wright says this. He says, Jesus' people have instant, immediate, direct, and valued access into the very presence of the living God. And that goes for us as well. That is so true. It's amazing. This direct and valued access into the very presence of God. This is an incredible um, privilege that we have as Christians. And this is exactly what happens when his spirit comes, when his advocate comes. This was the encouragement Jesus was bringing. See, as I've mentioned, the disciples would have been feeling down about the fact that Jesus was leaving them. There wouldn't have been a lot of joy there. There would have been a lot of fear, actually. They really did need this encouragement, and that is why Jesus explains to them about his advocate. This was great news for them. So this advocate was to bring joy to the disciples, but what was the purpose of the Holy Spirit? Why would he come? Well, Jesus goes on to explain this in more detail that I'll quickly touch on. Because sometimes we can see the Holy Spirit as some sort of vague spiritual energy, a bit like the force in Star Wars, something like that. And, you know, it's, it's good to feel the force. It's good to feel his presence and experiencing his presence. And I think if we limit the Spirit to being some vague, uh, vague force, then we're missing out on so much of what Jesus says in this passage. We should never limit the Spirit to being some vague spiritual energy. See, the Holy Spirit isn't just some vague impartation of spiritual energy. No, he has a specific ministry of proclaiming and applying Jesus' triumph through death and resurrection to the right hand of God. He's got a job to do. 
The ministry of the Spirit is the unleashing of the powers of the promised kingdom of God into this world. That's what the Spirit does. The Holy Spirit is the outworking of Jesus' victory. In verse 14, Jesus describes one of the works of the Holy Spirit as being like a preacher making known the things that Jesus did. Through the Holy Spirit, the disciples would be able to continue to share about the things that Jesus did and preach this to others, making known to them the person of Jesus. The Spirit would work through them and in them to reveal the truth about who he was, but would also allow them to reveal this to others. Important work. And we clearly see that happening in the book of Acts, don't we, in the day of Pentecost. The disciples are filled with the Spirit and go out and uh, declare who Jesus is. Make him known to the people. And what we can say is that the Holy Spirit doesn't just proclaim and talk about the kingdom of God coming. No, he actually imparts the kingdom of God. And that's what's great. It isn't just us being filled with the Spirit and saying, listen to these amazing things Jesus said and did. No, we're actually able to see them again. When we're filled with the Spirit, we can continue to see miracles, can't we? We talk about this a lot in church, but it's true. This was what Jesus was saying to his disciples as a way of encouraging them and bringing them joy. You're going to do great things. You're going to see great things. Just because I'm not here doesn't mean all of this stops. This was the encouragement. In verses 8 to 10, Jesus also describes the work of the Spirit as leading people to repentance. Literally, the Spirit will show people where they're going wrong, convict them of their sins, and lead them to repentance. That's what the Holy Spirit does, doesn't he? When we're saved, we turn away from the things that we've done wrong. He leads us to a place where we can look at our lives and see the areas uh, that we're going wrong in and turn away from them. This is one of the works of the Holy Spirit. Jubilee, we can take heart from this. We can be encouraged from this, okay? Because it is the Spirit who leads people to repentance. It is Him who reveals to people the areas of their lives that need to change. It's not us who does that. Do you know what? I think somewhere over the years, Christians have got mixed up and think that it's our job to convict and condemn, to judge people for the life they're living and tell people off for it. But that's simply not true. As Jesus was saying here, it's the Spirit who leads people to repentance. We don't need to do that. We don't need to judge. Our job is to love. Our job is to show what repentance looks like, to show what a life transformed looks like. When we go into the world, we don't do so with judgment, but we do so with love and grace, don't we? At least I hope so. The Holy Spirit does the rest. Jubilee, if we want to see the world transformed, if we want to see Teesside transformed, if we want to see those around us saved, then this is vitally important. Work in partnership with the Holy Spirit. You do your bit so he can do his. Does that make sense? So as you can see, Jesus was encouraging his disciples by saying that they will have a wonderful advocate who will be even better than him being with them. This advocate is the bringer of joy. When they're feeling down that Jesus is no longer with them, they'll have this advocate who's there to bring them joy. The bringer of joy. What a wonderful encouragement that is. And I think it's as much an encouragement for us today as it was for the disciples at that time. We've got the bringer of joy. We've got this advocate 
in our lives. Let me move on a little bit. As I said earlier, Christians are to be marked by their joy. It's what sets us apart from everyone else. And let me tell you, I think that joy is how we're going to reach the world. Check out this quote by Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. It said, I am certain that the world outside is not going to pay much attention to all the well-organized efforts of the Christian church. The one thing she will pay attention to is a body of people filled with his spirit and rejoicing. That is so true. That is so true. You know what? We can put on all of the events that we want. We can put on all of the social action things that we want. We can put on the most amazing um, events, but the thing that people are going to be grasped by is a people of God rejoicing. A people of God who stand out from the world because they're filled with joy. And that's so true. A few months back over Christmas, a couple of my friends came along to church on Sunday morning. Um, They'd never been to church before, and they were absolutely shocked by how joyful everyone was. I remember my friend Jess saying, how positive are you lot, by the way? It's amazing. Our joy is something that the world doesn't see. It's a sense of joy which is deeper than anything that the world can offer. And let me tell you, that is attractive to the world. That is something which is going to grab people's attention. That is the sort of joy that we need. Do you know what else? According to Jesus in verse 22, it's a joy that no one can take away. Let me say that again for the people at the back. I don't think you heard this. We've got a joy that no one can take away. That's right. We have this joy. Shirley was sharing testimony yesterday on the Alpha Away Day, and she said, I've been through ups and downs over the last 20-odd years, but I've never lost my joy. That's how it is as Christians. And do you know what? I think this is something which a few of us really need to hear this morning. We have a joy which cannot be taken away. Okay, we can be battered and bruised and go through difficulties. We do. We're not promised an easy life. But we do have a joy which is everlasting. It cannot be taken away. Jesus says that right here in this passage. We have a joy which cannot be taken away. I heard a song recently, someone singing quite openly about some of the sufferings and difficulties that they've faced. The song was all about that. And this is the chorus. I put it up on the screen behind us. The chorus is, Hallelujah, nevertheless, was the song the pain couldn't destroy. Hallelujah, nevertheless, you're my joy, invincible. Invincible joy. I love that idea. Nevertheless, no matter what life throws at us, we have a joy which cannot be destroyed. A joy which is invincible. Wow. How can this be, though? Well, Jesus tells us how we can have this invincible joy. Uh, The clue comes at the start of verse 22. Jesus says, I will see you again, and you will rejoice. Jubilee, our joy is rooted in Christ's resurrection. A historical event which has already happened, and therefore can't be undone. The reason that we have invincible joy, joy that can't be taken away, is because we find our joy in Christ conquering the grave. Something which can't be undone. We don't find our joy anywhere else apart from that. And let me challenge you on that. If you try and find joy from something other than Christ's resurrection, other than his victory, then you're going to fall short. That's a true understanding of the gospel. 
If you're trying to find joy in being part of the community or having lots of friends or singing some upbeat worship songs, all of these are good things, especially the upbeat worship songs, Andy. But um, if we try and find our joy in anything other than Christ's resurrection, then we won't be able to have this deep sense of joy. It's a joy that only Jesus brings, a joy that he describes. We need to have a full understanding of what Jesus actually achieved for us by defeating death. And that is where invincible joy comes from. Do you know what? Sometimes we can forget that. We can almost feel like we've lost our joy, can't we? We go through seasons like that, seemingly joyless seasons. Let me put my hands up. Haley and I have experienced a little bit of that over the last year or so. We've struggled with becoming parents and some of the changes to life and busyness and family and all that sort of stuff. And there's been days that have just felt hard and joyless. And we've kind of sat there and thought, where's our joy? Look, I'm just being honest and speaking from a place of experience in this recently. We can feel like our joy is gone. We can just feel down and low and sad. But Jubilee, let me encourage you. If you look for your joy in Christ and Christ alone and you realize that you simply can't lose your joy. Jesus is saying that right there in verse 22. You cannot lose your joy. You can struggle yet. We know about that. You can go through difficult times. You can have off days. But if you're looking for joy in the right place, then you can never simply be joyless. That needs to be a source of encouragement. Your joy is invincible. I hope this is encouraging for you. Honestly, it really encouraged me. As I was preparing for this talk, it just kind of hit me like a, like a light bulb. Like, I think there's something significant in this. And I want to leave time at the end to pray. Because I feel like there's some people who are, uh, have maybe felt joyless, have felt robbed of the joy. In fact, if you felt like that, do you want to just take your hand up? If you felt robbed, robbed of joy recently, just take your hand up for me. Yeah. I feel like some of us have just, just felt, felt joyless and, and God doesn't want that for us. God wants us to know that we have a joy which cannot be taken away. I'd love to pray into that at the end. I'd love to pray into that at the end. All right. So I've mentioned a few times earlier um, that as Christians we're to be marked by our joy. And that is true. But actually, I think that us as Jubilee Church Teesides specifically are meant to be marked by our joy. I think that one of the characteristics of our church is joy. I felt it from the minute I came in here, seven, eight years ago. I've told you this story before, but my first ever Sunday in, uh, in Jubilee, uh, Marvash is leading a conga line, dancing across the hall of people singing, there's no one, there's no one like Jesus. I was like, what? <laughs> that same week, I went to a big group meeting in Stockton. Who remembers those? And uh, met the Stockton guys and never laughed as much in my life. I probably could blame Andy for that. This is a church which should be joyful. It's in our name, for goodness sake. <laughs> Jubilee. Now, please, I'm not saying that we're not joyful at the minute. Okay, don't hear what I'm not saying. All I'm saying is that we need to be aware that we're marked out by our joy. We need to uh, be aware that one of our characteristics as a church is being joyful people. And if you're feeling joyless right now, then that's a lie that can easily be put right by looking at the truth, by looking at where our joy comes from, by looking at what Jesus has done for us. Let's be reminded of that this morning. Let's have that explosion of joy which God wants us to have. Let's be jubilee 
people. But I want to end by just looking at the last thing Jesus says about joy, and that is that joy has overcome. In the last verse that we read, verse 33, Jesus says, In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Now, just reading that verse without any unpacking or application gets me excited in itself. But let's look at it a little bit and what it actually means. This is one of the classic occasions of Jesus saying something which doesn't leave us entirely comfortable. Like, would anyone love to see a gospel of things that we wish Jesus had said? I would love that. <laughs> but this is one of the things which we wish he hadn't said. See, Jesus here is telling the disciples that believing in him will not result in the easy life. He isn't saying that him dying on the cross is going to lead to a life of peace for the disciples. No, he's being clear with them. And that is that we will face trouble. His disciples will face trouble. Thanks, Jesus. <laughs> but where's his trouble going to come from? Well, in a chapter just before this one, in John 15, Jesus gives his disciples the clearest indication of where this hardship would come from when he explains to them that the world is going to hate them. See, the harsh reality is this. As Christians, we have to look different to the rest of the world. There needs to be a clear distinction. That looks different in different circumstances, but we need to stand out from the world. I remember when I first became a Christian, I was in college, and people couldn't get their head around the fact that I wasn't going to have sex till I was married. Like, I mean, in college, that was completely countercultural. Like, it stood out. People thought it was weird. But that's what we need to be as Christians. We need to look different from the world. And the sad reality of that is that this will sometimes lead to persecution. If we live out the Christian walk properly, then we're in for trouble. This can be hard to take. We all want to be liked. We all want to fit in. But actually, it's so important that we do live out the life that Jesus has called us to, even if this means looking different from the world. It's important that we're shaped by what the Bible says and not by culture. As my good friend Jonathan always says, we're we're, um, formed by Jesus' culture and not by the world's culture. That's so true. See, the Bible is unchanging. This is the word of God. It will last forever. As culture changes, as what was acceptable yesterday isn't acceptable tomorrow, the Bible will never change. The word of God will never change and that's why we need to base our lives on this and not on culture. To be Christians means to live out a way which goes against the world and that in itself will lead to trouble. That's what Jesus is saying here. He's saying he's going to face trouble. But he gives us some good news as well. He says, thankfully, Jesus has overcome the world. The final word does not lie with the evil one or with the tragic, rebellious world. No, the final word lies with the Father. The final word lies with Jesus. He has overcome the world. All right, can we just say that again? He's overcome the world. Why aren't you excited about that? Come on, he's overcome the world. Come on. Look. The bringer of joy has the final victory and that is why nothing in this world can overcome us. That is why. Praise God. And do you know what? This doesn't just go for the things of the world. 
we can also take heart at the fact that Jesus has victory over the powers and principalities of darkness as described in Ephesians 6. The spiritual battle is also won. The lies of the the enemy and his plans to put us off course have all been defeated. God has the final words. And we should remember that. It's him who has overcome, not us. That's why our final song isn't, we have overcome. No, as it says in Revelation 5, verse 12, the triumph song, the victory song, the final song is, worthy is the lamb who was slain. Hallelujah. He has overcome. And by God's grace, we get to share in his victory. And that's how I want to end this talk this morning on joy. By reminding us of our glorious future, that we can have joy because joy has overcome. Okay, if the band could come up, that would be great. Look, I, I really want to celebrate now. I want to do a conga line across the room, if I'm honest. But actually, I made an important point earlier about people who maybe feel joyless, who maybe feel like they've gone through a period of feeling robbed of their joy, who maybe feel like they're in a bit of a dark period at the minute. And I think it's only right that we have a time of ministry together to pray for these situations. Not to pray for solutions to difficult situations, but just to pray for a fresh reminder of where our joy comes from. I think just having that fresh reminder of where our joy comes from, I think that will really start to unlock some situations for people this morning. Look, if you've been feeling joyless recently, or you're currently feeling robbed of your joy, then don't miss the opportunity this morning to be prayed for. We've got a ministry team on hand who would love to pray for you. Not to pray for solutions to your situations, but to pray for a fresh revelation of where your joy comes from. A fresh reminder that your joy has not been taken away. A fresh reminder that you have invincible joy. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to sing, we're going to worship, but please, please go and get prayer. In fact, if the ministry team could go out and out to the sides, that would be really helpful. If some ministry team guys want to be prayed for, then that's fine. You don't need to go out. You can go and get prayer. (laughs) Why don't we stand? Very simple. As uh, as a band sings, uh, if you want to be prayed for, please do go to the sides, okay? I feel it's going to be a real release of joy. I feel like God's going to really do something in people's lives here. I feel like it's going to be a real shift in some attitudes. I think that some people who have been feeling dark are going to suddenly start to feel a little bit of light, a little bit of joy coming in. Jubilee, we're a church that needs to be filled to the brim with joyful people. Let's not go home today without being joyful people. I don't want anyone to leave this morning feeling joyless. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much that you have overcome the world. I thank you so much that the final victory lies with you. And we can take real joy from that, God. We can be joyful because of that, Lord. And I thank you so much for what you said in this verse about having a joy which cannot be taken away. Lord Jesus, I just want to pray over us as a church, God. Would we have that sense of joy, Lord? Would we be reminded that we've got a joy that cannot be taken away, God? Would you remind us where our joy comes from? It comes from your victory, God. It comes from you conquering the grave. So Lord, I want to pray for each and every one of us this morning. Would you give us a fresh sense of joy? Would you give us a fresh sense of victory and joy that comes 
with that, Lord. I pray for people who have been feeling joyless, Lord. Would there be an impartation of joy this morning, Lord Jesus? Would there be celebration as we start to remember exactly what we're celebrating, God? As we remember your victory, would there be a sense of joy which bubbles up, which is infectious as we go out of church today with our friends and our co-workers and the people that we meet? Would they see something different about us which comes from our joy, God? Lord, I pray would you come right now. Would you come right now? We want to welcome you here, Holy Spirit. Come and bring joy. We welcome the bringer of joy here right now. Thank you, Lord. Let's worship.